Okay, here's a question. How cool is Amonkhet? Amonkhet's amazing. Oh, okay, that's hella blow, Yachty. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that should... Okay. That should be about six or so. Yeah, no, that, there we go. What did you say to your son oh. when he was playing with cat poop? Stop doing that. I'm Phil DeLuca. I'm Sean Watson. And I'm guest host Shivan Putt. And we are Commander in. Yes, we are. Here's some music, probably. Probably. Hey, music. Maybe, maybe. Do, 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 do. Thanks for listening and hanging out with us this week, folks. We put a spotlight on community issues, but never, ever do we talk about four banned topics. Religion, politics, Hearthstone, and hip-hop. And we just want to make it clear that since another podcast, Commander's Brew, has forbidden topics related to midichlorians, you can come here and talk to us about midichlorians. Now, we do not condone or endorse or actually believe in midichlorians. We think they're terrible, but you can talk to us about them. Isn't that right, fellows? No. I think. <laughs> no, it's not right. <laughs> it is wrong. Midichlorians are wrong and you are bad people. Shivam, what's midichlorians? Midichlorians are what bad people do to bad people. <laughs> That's what happened to Jake Lloyd to give him that cold, dead look in his eyes. Oh. Your skin is soft, not like the sand. <laughs> sand? Oh, I hate sand. I don't know why I'm turning to <laughs> cut me. Urchin, oh, God. <laughs> Maybe Commander's Brew is onto something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you want us to stop talking about midichlorians, the best way to do that is to pay us. Um, <laughs> you can visit patreon.com slash commander and MTG, donate a buck a show, and leave a note to say that we need to add midichlorians like Commander's Brew did to the band topic list. Uh, and if we get enough votes, who knows what that number is? We haven't figured that out yet. We will stop talking about midichlorians. Believe it or not, this episode is not about midichlorians. You should visit us on YouTube and see what we've talked about in the past. And this week, we have a wonderful show lined up for you. We're going to talk about the techniques, the mysteries of designing Amonkhet. Mm. Not, some people call it Almond Cat, but we'll get to that. Our guest Wait, this isn't is Kaladish? an expert. What am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I think I took the planar bridge to the wrong one. <laughs> we tricked you into coming on, Shivam. Thank you for taking the time. We had to trick him into... We were changing the name of the show to Cut Commandering the uh, Social Justice Warrior podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Shivam said, sign me up. And, uh, I'm in. Let's do this. Instead, we're going to talk about paper and turning it sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I might have mentioned our guest is an expert on all things Amonkhet. Ethan Fleischer is a senior designer at Wizards of the Coast. Can you believe that, Ethan? Started as a winner in the Great Designer Search 2. Now he has achieved greatness. 
and he's led many products from Commander to Standard Sets and is the co-lead designer with Mark Rosewater on Amonkhet. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for coming on the show and putting up with our zaniness. Oh, it's it's great to be here, and I, uh, I always love talking about uh, the uh, sets that we come out with. Yeah, our listeners uh, don't realize how much we've been cutting it up over the last uh, almost half hour um, while we got ready for the show. <laughs> Um, so if we're a little bit giggly, maybe a little bit hesitant, it's because we're not really certain what we should say at this point. <laughs> it's been a spicy warning. Yeah. Watch out. <laughs> we might talk about sand. Lots of sand. <laughs> hey, I've, uh, I've just got an email in here. It's, uh, from a doctor in Canada and it's leaked test results from one Mr. Andy Hull. His midichlorian test results, but no midichlorians. That's why he doesn't want to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed. I they make a cream for that. <laughs> it, he can't be a Jedi, so he's rejecting them all. We're on to you, Hull. <laughs> anyway, I was driving Andy home from a trip to. We went out to Frankenstein's, which is a cool place here in Los Angeles, which we have to get to all of us at some point. And it was driving him home, and we were talking about midichlorians, and I was like, you know, we were talking about whether or not they were the cause of one's force use or a result of, right? And if they're the cause of force use, then all you have to do is set up a blood transfusion from a, a compatible Jedi, and you can suddenly create an army of force users. And so we were really hoping that it's just as a result of force use right. that midichlorians exist. We're going to get to talking about Amonkhet yes. at some point. We'll talk about Magic the Gathering. But we did notice in the announcement for Commander 2017 that a certain name is conspicuously absent from that. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, after Commander 2016. Where is my name, Ethan? <laughs> <laughs> I well, thought we had you're, an agreement. You're the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, after t- Commander 2016, I was a little bit... Uh, I, I couldn't actually figure out how to yeah. top that one yet. And so I... Uh, opted out of Commander 2017 and uh, left it to other members of R&D to do what they thought would be awesome for Commander. And if I ever come up with an idea as good as Commander 2016, I will probably make another Commander product. But until then, I'm going to try other things. Yeah, I seem to remember that when you were talking about uh, making four-color Commanders, that you said it was an incredibly draining and stressful process, and you didn't want to do that to yourself again. Yeah, it's it's true. I was pretty wiped out. Uh, Commander 2016 was the hardest thing I've ever made at Wizards of the Coast, so I uh, need a little break from Commander. But will we get more partners at least? <laughs> well, I mean, I can't tell you about what's going to happen in the future, but it would be pretty awesome. Yes, it would. He needs a little break <laughs> from Commander, so onward with our Commander podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, I don't need a break from Commander. I play Commander at least once a week, but uh, I just needed, a, needed to design some other things for a bit, including yeah, Almond. We will come to. First of all, though, uh, canny listeners may notice there is a voice. Uh, well, they may not notice, but there is a voice missing from the show. <laughs> it is true. Yes. Me and Phil have a small announcement, or Phil and I, to use proper grammar, Nate Burgess of this parish fame has departed for pastures new. Phil, would you like to say anything? It is true. Nate has 
left the podcast. And of course, while he is welcome back uh, whenever he wants, it's on to different projects for Nate. And we really wish him the best of luck. We're just sad to see him go. Sad to see him go. And we'll have to change what we're doing in life from time to time for all sorts of reasons. And whatever Nate gets up to in the world of magic, uh, we will be sure to bring it to you and uh, let you guys know what it is so you can go check it out. Yes, indeed. Um, we'll keep uh, we'll keep bringing up Nate's articles on edhrec.com and anything else he starts up. So, Yeah, and rest assured, loyal listeners, uh, this show is not going anywhere. We are staying strong and going ahead. Yeah, that was very interesting that when people heard about it on Twitter, because, of course, Nate made the announcement on Twitter, uh, in a very Nate fashion, too. It was in response to something else. At the um, end of someone else's chain, yeah. <laughs> um, Kyle Carson's, actually. And uh, the first thing people were saying was, what's happening with the show? Is everything okay? Our patron chat group on Facebook kind of lit up, too. And there's no fear. We're just going to continue as uh, we would have only without Nate. And so he brought a bunch of unique approaches, including some of the uh, now uh, infamous and mean sort of uh, message of the week at the end of the show with the, uh, the what to do for newbies as a classic. And of course, we'll do with a little bit less math than we did in uh, England. You would pronounce that maths. Yes. And uh, we'll just try to get by as best we can. But we think we can do that. In fact, we know we can. Here we are. We haven't done it yet. Oh, that's true. That's true. As of this moment, we haven't done it yet. But by the time the listeners hear it, we will have done it. That's a good point. <laughs> time travel, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> so, best of luck, Nate. We'll miss you. And we'll stay in touch. Don't be a stranger. To quote your very last ever words on the show, Nate, let's be friends. Yeah, it still fills me. Uh, I knew something was up there <laughs> when Nate is advocating being friends instead of telling us how to <laughs> abuse newbies if we wanted to. <laughs> uh, also, Sean's GoFundMe to get to Las Vegas is in full swing. He's past the 50% mark. Yes, just tipped over it. Yeah, just tipped over it, and I have made a pledge that if we can get to the 90% mark, I will close the final gap. So, everybody get in there. You'll force me to spend a little bit more money. It's going to be wonderful. But <laughs> at the end of that is is we get to have Las Vegas with Sean. How cool is that? Viva. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, GP Vegas is looking to be pretty ridiculous from the way everybody is setting up to go there. It's going to be like one of the biggest magic, I guess, gatherings, <laughs> uh, maybe ever, which is why I, of course, am not going to be able to go because, because. What? Oh, That's terrible. Um... Yeah, dude, it sucks. I tried to, but they put it like the week before a gigantic family vacation that I'm taking and I've already bought plane tickets to go to Colorado, so I cannot uh, take the week before that to go bum around Vegas. My wife was uh, less than thrilled at the idea, shall we say. Oh, mm. wow. Hey, hey, mm. is she in the house right now? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get her on mic. Yeah, that that's a thing that's not going to happen. <laughs> 
we have a history, and it's always been disastrous, of bringing our uh, nearby spouses on the mic whenever we can. Um, in this case, we would we would convince her with certainty, concierto, to let you go to GP Vegas. Yeah, I'm going to go with that's not a likely situation. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ethan, you're going to be there, though? Yeah, I uh, managed to convince Wizards of the Coast to foot the bill. So, uh, All right. free trip to Las Vegas, and I will be bringing... Lots of commander decks, obviously. All right. So it should be a lot of fun. Of course, they'll probably expect me to do some kind of work or something while I'm there. But uh, I'm sure that there'll be plenty of time for plenty of commandering. Interacting with fans and uh, very fan-like press is work. You're representing the company. And we can do that while moving pieces of cardboard around pretty easily. (laughs) Spell slinging. That's what we'll do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. even if you get approached by a, a slightly grumpy Englishman wearing a Baltimore Orioles jersey, don't worry, it's just me. <laughs> All right, we should definitely get a game in. Absolutely. So we are working on a special playmat for GP Las Vegas, and if that comes through, I am willing to offer one up to uh, the person who manages to beat Ethan in a spell-slinging game of Commander. <laughs> How do you... Sp- because spell slinging commander seems like a terrible idea just because of how long it would take. <laughs> Can you imagine sitting there and be like, Ethan, it's been four and a half hours. He's like, okay, look, we've only got 35 life left. Please, we'll be done soon. It's like, yeah, but I there's 800 people in line. <laughs> I don't spell sling commander, but I do play commander whenever possible while I'm not spell slinging. So, um, <laughs> That, that'll be that'll work fine, I think. <laughs> well, we are giving out bounties to those people who can knock both me and Sean out of a match. So, uh, if you can get us to right, play, well, put me, you can put me on that All list. Right. <laughs> yeah, watch out for my watch out for my bear commander deck. <laughs> are you saying your bear commander deck's going to beat my highly tuned Ailey Eternal Pilgrim deck? Oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> Some of those bears only cost one mana. <laughs> My commander only cost two. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, but he's got bears. Yeah. Look, as as an atheist, uh, the magic gods are going to just mana screw me for every game I play against you now, Ethan, because I've been cocky on here. So don't <laughs> worry. I'll you just... shake your fist at Orchestra? Yeah. <laughs> Damn you, Ronas! <laughs> <laughs> In other news, Shivam, you're on the LRR podcast this week. What was that like? Yeah, uh, I was on Tap Tap Concede, the uh, Loading Ready Runs video podcast, to talk about um, Aether Revolt and wrap up my thoughts on interesting cultural stories that the art and cards uh, lend themselves to. And uh, I did one on Kaladesh a month ago, and it was really, really fun. And it was a great way to wrap up what has been a long and traumatic experience with uh, my favorite and simultaneously least favorite set of all time. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, if you guys are interested in hearing about Kaladesh, when I'm happy to talk about it, you should check out these two videos because I had a really good time and uh, they came out really well. Awesome. We'll provide a link in the show notes for anybody who is not already watching <laughs> Loading Ready Run. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've heard of them or not. They're they're nice dudes in Canada. They talk about things. You mean they so, talk about things, right? About things. Hey. Well, that's great to hear. We will watch it. I'm sure our listeners will check it out. And 
Uh, final piece of news was the Amonkhet pre-release will be over by the time our listeners hear this. We are sort of mid-pre-release. Has anybody gone to a pre-release? I'm going to be going directly after this podcast finishes. I am. I've been working night shifts, so the only release I've been doing is the sweet release of death. The desire. <laughs> I wish the sweet release of death would have been lovely. So no, sadly not. I went to the employee pre-release of Wizards and. My pool was abysmal. I opened, like, nothing remotely usable as far as rares went. So I ended up playing a red-green aggro deck with lots of exert cards, uh, just commons and uncommons. And I did all right. I went three and one. And so it all turned out okay. You you can play aggro in Amonkhet, despite the embalm and the aftermath and the minus one, minus one counters and all that stuff. So uh, it can be done. Hmm. Yeah, I'm excited for Exert. Uh, what was your promo? Uh, my promo was uh, the the white card, the the alternate win condition approach of the second sun, oh, yeah. I believe it's called. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so I opened that and I opened another one of those. I was like, mm, seven mana, I don't think I'm going to get there. <laughs> and uh, opened a couple of dual lands and I don't remember what else, but it was all, it was all terrible for limited. Hmm. So uh, I just... Had to eke out victories with commons and uncommons, but there are some strong cards at lower rarities in the set, so I managed to get there. Yeah. yeah. I've always wanted to ask this question, and it's kind of relevant as you're opening packs. As the head designer of a set, do you get given, as part of your job, a free copy of the set? Yes. Every, these days, everyone at Wizards gets a copy of the set for free. And then um, we have this employee store where we get points every month and we can spend them and we can get additional uh, full sets that way, including foil full sets. So whenever I'm on a design team, I try to get a foil copy of that set so I can bling out my commander decks and my cubes and things like that. Do you ever ask yourself to sign your cards? (laughs) I I do not. I've never been much of an autograph seeker, so... uh, I don't. I don't feel it's necessary to sign my own. God, cards. can you imagine if like Morrow did that and his like he had a hundred card deck where they're all his signatures, all signed by he'd him? He made like eighty percent of the cards. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Well, I'm pulling out my sharpie, and we all know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> He's always nice, though. So, yeah. this brings to mind a, a question I had. Is Hour of Devastation named after that meeting you had with Mark after Song of the Dryads was released? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one where, where blood was spraying out of my hand all over <laughs> yes. the place. Yes, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I believe so. I'm going to so. talk about whether you lost a finger on a card that's coming up later on, so uh, hold that thought. <laughs> so all right. <laughs> Ethan, are you into... Uh, so I guess we're moving... It's a very smooth transition into Amonkhet discussions. Are you playing... Like, are you integrating any cards from Almond Cat into your commander decks? Oh, so many cards. I don't even, I barely know where to start. I'm super excited about Monument of Ronas mm. in my Reki History of Kamigawa deck because it's a legendary and it only costs two mana and it ramps all my green creatures and it gives my guys a boost in trample. It's just like exactly what the deck wants. Yeah. For listeners so at home, what does the Reki individual do again? Card. Uh, whenever you cast a legendary spell, draw a card. Oh. Ooh. So that's my favorite commander deck. So getting a major new tool for that is exciting. 
And I have a Nickel Bolas, like, Vorthos-themed deck that has a lot of fairly dodgy inclusions, and I can replace all of them with completely appropriate inclusions. <laughs> and uh, I'm excited about making a Trostani deck with all of the new Aftermath cards, because then I can populate some weirdo tokens. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I mean, and of course, Grimgrin is going to get lots of zombie. Tribal that is what I was well. about to say. Mm-hmm. My Grimgrin deck is super happy right now. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's time um, I papered my Nicol Bolas deck. I had one where he steals everything. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like Nicol Bolas. Yeah, and then sacrifices it usually. Well, yeah, what else are you gonna do with stuff you've stolen? So, um, <laughs> before we move on into the actual, <laughs> before we move into the actual commander part of it, uh, do you think that Amonkhet is a print set or a popper set, Ethan? Meaning, do you think this is a set that's more driven by the commons or by the rares? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I don't really think about it that way usually, but. Uh... I just have I to guess give you this a is a pop- this is a this is a popper set because there is a tremendous amount of value at common and uncommon that more than you would normally get in a boost release. Like you know, the aftermath mechanic, everything with an aftermath is a two for one, right? Mm. And everything with uh, embalm is a two for one, and so I think there are just going to be more interesting, powerful cards at lower rarities than is typical how do you think that compares to ether revolt i mean ether revolt it was it was kind of silly how most of the value was in the uncommons uh tier ether revolt is another is another good um popper set i would say like it is uh combo city right (laughs) so uh and a lot of a lot of exciting value there as far as you know especially the blue and white cards so yeah i think i think both of them fall under that category but if you look at something like theros you know, heroic, maybe not the most uh, useful co- uh, mechanic f- for commander, right? Right. Or in any format. <laughs> I I enjoyed heroic in standard. Actually, I the, I played a standard tournament, one of my few standard tournaments I've ever played, and did quite well with red white heroic, and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I tried to use heroic in uh, EDH with my soldier deck. And I found that the heroic mechanic requires you to have like spells and stuff that target that it's really hard to be consistent and be able to use it regularly enough in a hundred card deck than you would be able to in a 40 or 60. And I just was like really disappointed every time I tried. I mean, I've ended up just taking most of those cards out. Right. It's an A plus B mechanic where you have to have one element and then another element to go with it. And uh, in this case, the B element, which is combat tricks and auras, are just not something you generally want to be playing in Commander. Right. The Strive mechanic is the, kind of the, the the B side of that, right? It's meant to be an enabler. But the one that I see played most in Commander is Silence the Believers. That's, good. That's always, yeah. always handy to be able to instantly exile. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Yeah, that was, I believe, the Strive card that saw the most play in Standard as well. Yeah, yeah it's, Strive just cost way too much. It, but uh, we could talk about Theros another time. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe let's move to the other top-down set. Oh, that I want to relevant. talk about Monstrous as the uh, next key mechanic. Yeah, Monstrous. When do we know? I love Monstrosity, but... Um... Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right, so let's talk about Amonkhet. 
and we start with the number one question on everybody's mind. Have you dictated it to your telephone yet? No, I've never said the words Amonkhet to my phone yet, so <laughs> I, I don't know what what it would do if I were to do it so. Absolutely, on my phone, uh, ex- every time except once, when I was using it as an example, of course, translates it into Almond Cat. And I, I think it's because most people say almond without the L, so it's more like well, that's because they're Philistines. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> almond. Cat. I can't decide if that's delicious or not. Oh, it's delicious. <laughs> I would eat an almond. Mm, embalmed cat. almond cats. It's a healthy mm. alternative to full dairy cats. <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> and Ethan, given the, the the rash number of cats oh that we're God. seeing, poor Stephen, we broke him. It tickled him, yay! <laughs> it did. It tickled him. Do you do you like cats, Ethan? Yeah, I think pat, cats are the perfect pet for people who uh, want to find vomit on their bed <laughs> yeah. or uh, poop in the floor of their bathroom for their children or to play hair with all of their clothes. Yeah. Huh. Are you okay with children playing with cat poop? We know Shivam is not. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, children need to be exposed to germs and other parasites uh, in order to strengthen their immune mm-hmm. system. <laughs> hey, a good dose of toxoplasmicity will only make you stronger if it doesn't make you blinder. Uh, yep, that's true. I'm trying so hard not to die right now. <laughs> That's what your son would have been uh, saying. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Happy uh, Earth Day. Uh, the, the things we say before the show. Indeed. <laughs> so, Amonkhet releases on 29 of April 2017. For those listeners, that's a week or so from today. And uh, by the time it drops, though, it's only four days away. It has an MSRP of $3.99 per booster pack. Most people are getting discounts on that because they're buying it by the box if they're, you know, taking it home to draft with their friends or just rip packs. has 264 cards, which makes it a large set. And there are 30 Masterpiece Series cards, aren't there? They're called Amonkhet Invocations. I just saw some Amonkhet Invocations in person at the pre-release, and I have to say... I was a lot more excited than I had been looking at them on computer screens. So, actually, that's a good question. Um, so, you guys know what cards go into the uh, invocations. Obviously, you pick them, you have meetings. But you didn't get to actually see it in person until pre-release? I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could have seen it if I had gone out and bugged the person who was working on it. But uh, somehow I just didn't. And uh, so, I was unspoiled and saw them in person and... The way that the the foil is applied to the card really makes the whole thing come together in a way that you can't really appreciate looking at it on a computer screen. I would ask you which cards you saw at the pre-release, but you probably wouldn't be able to tell us because they're almost unreadable. <laughs> yeah, that, that font choice. I mean, I think if you guys had changed the font or the frame or the art, it would have been cool. Oh, I like the but art. But changing the font, frame, and art made it hard to swallow and uh having now on twitter seen like a handful of people who've pulled invocations in person and taken pictures of their phones from australia pre-release it or what have you uh they look a lot cooler 
in person than they do in the grainy digital images we saw on various streamers trying to show them off. And so uh, maybe in future, you guys might not want to use that method of delivery for otherwise amazing looking cards. Yeah, yeah. It could be that uh, the, the rollout for that uh, could have been different. And, you know, it may be that we, you know, went a little too far with Amiket invocations. It was definitely an experiment. And, uh, you know, we're, we're pushing the boundaries to see what people like and what people don't. Hey, I mean, you gave me an ornithopter invention. So basically you got a free ride for at least two sets. So, uh, <laughs> so I think you'll be okay for now. <laughs> well, the ornithopter goodwill is paying off. Oh my God, that card is so good. Everyone's like, who would want an ornithopter invention? And I'm here wallpapering my house with them and just like, you know, building my shrine to ornithopters and it's amazing. Um, do you know why... And you're you telling your wife called that invocation. Oh uh, no, she doesn't get to come into this room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the uh, shrine to Thopter. She um, she stood outside the room one day, and Shivam said to her, "Darling, if you go in there, you're either going to become a new victim or an accessory to a crime. So it's up to you." <laughs> <laughs> she slowly walked away. So, well, I mean, the other day she came. We were cleaning out our uh, game room. And she was looking at my cards, which had been organized and put into piles and boxes and whatnot. And she's like, you have a lot of magic cards <laughs> in that tone of voice, which gives you the indication that this is not a positive conversation we're about to have. And uh, yeah, I have a lot of magic cards as it happens. <laughs> it turns out that uh, you need a lot of magic cards. It's just the way it I is. I mean, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know when you're going to need that 15th disenchant. Like it, I know. I, I mean, maybe I'm going to maybe I'm going to make a turtle tribal deck tomorrow. I need all the turtles on hand ready to go. I mean, we we negotiated down to uh two full playsets of everything and then I had to like donate the rest of them. But it somebody is going to be very happy with a lot of tempest commons is all I'm saying. Um <laughs> cool. So why did you guys call the uh, masterpieces in this set invocations? Because invocation means like spell, and there are creatures and things in this as well. It seemed a little out of flavor. A lot. A lot. Yeah, of I, I actually have no idea. My involvement in uh, the masterpiece series is almost non-existent. So um, I designed the rest of the, you know, led the design of the you know main booster release, but the the masterpiece series is all handled by other people, and you know I was occasionally, uh, you know, asked for my opinion about things, but uh, I, I don't have very much insight into the process, I'm afraid. Wow, that's actually really interesting to know. I didn't realize that masterpieces were basically Separate. an independent insert into the set versus like designed to be there. Yeah, it, it has so little to do with the gameplay of the set either in uh limited or in constructed that it's just not even you know there's no reason to marry the process to the the rest of the design process hmm. so then me getting mad about the fact that there's no masterpiece desert or camel is basically empty words right now <laughs> well no i mean it's 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 good <laughs> to get feedback and obviously i can pass that on to the appropriate people where's my camel ethan <laughs> where is your camp i have been Having, you would be amazed how much trouble it is to get anything reprinted with banding. You'll notice we've yeah. basically never done that. 
uh, in the modern era. But there are deserts in this set. How am I going to protect my people from deserts? I know, I know. <laughs> I tried to get Banalish Hero put into Dual Decks Heroes versus Monsters, and everyone looked at me like I was crazy. So, I don't know. Oh, I love Banalish Hero. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah b- bending is a bit of a hard tell. I can, I can buy that. <laughs> but what what Shivam is getting at is that we did all, and I and I don't think it's limited to just the people on this call right now, except you, Ethan, maybe. I don't know. We did all expect them to be kind of one type, and the invocations made it very, it tilted it very directly towards sorceries or maybe instants, but strange that, and, and it's strange that the cycle was broken so early is what I'm saying. Yeah, so... It, yeah, I mean the the concept here is that you know this represents the villainy of Nicol Bolas. These are spells that we could imagine him casting. Uh, that's why they're kind of tilted more toward the Grixis colors, and sure. there are very few white cards or green cards. But uh, zero green cards. Yeah, they're they're mostly spells that are cruel and would go into a control deck for the most part. <laughs> yeah, and and to be clear, that is zero green cards, which broke my little green heart. Well, I mean, there's Ronas and there's um, some removal spell, isn't Abrupt there? Abrupt Decay. Abrupt Decay, yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, there, to be honest, I think the cards that you chose to, or whoever chose to put in there are cool. I think it's really like the um, Entomb is amazing looking with the sand pouring down. Yeah. Oh, yeah it feels like that. an Indiana Jones set piece almost. It's just, I mean, I think the cards you guys chose to put in there are, are really neat. It just seemed a little odd with the naming but i mean i guess we will bring that up with uh kelly diggs next time we talk to him yeah or yeah and it's just it's like some of these sets you know kaladesh was an artifact set zendikar was a land set it made it made having a very tight theme really easy and because amonkhet is a top-down set uh it, it makes it a little harder to uh, just have a really tight mechanical theme for the for the cards. Oh, I'm cool. sorry, it wasn't abrupt decay. It was Maelstrom Pulse. Oh yeah. Oh right. So I always get those two. You say Amicat's a top down design. Um, what's it like designing a top down design? And if you want to quickly explain that means to anybody that doesn't know what that means. So top down design is inspired by flavor or story rather than beginning with a mechanical idea for gameplay and then uh, building the story around that. So in this case, we really focused on expressing ancient Egypt through game mechanics. Uh, And so a lot of that involves sort of coming up with lists of things we would expect people to see, or people would expect to see, I should say. Mummies should be here, and pyramids should be here, and deserts should be here, things like that. And trying to find ways to express those in card form or even in the form of entire set mechanics. Mm. So when you guys were doing that, one of the big tropes you would think of with Egypt, for instance, is, you know, tomb raiding and like traps, right? Like the uh, Indiana Jones style or Curse of the Ancient Mummy type of things. And it seems you guys made a deliberate decision to avoid that kind of uh, Egyptology, I guess, archaeology look at Egypt. Absolutely. Uh, Jeremy Jarvis was uh, responsible for the the visual look of the set, and he really wanted to make sure that we contrasted heavily with Shadows over Innistrad block. Mm. So in, so we didn't want to have 1920s British archaeologists 
going into tunnels with torches in the dark. We wanted to see a sun-drenched living world that represented Egypt at, at the height of its empire rather than people digging up the dead remnants of this extinct culture. Uh, so we want a vibrant living world. Although hinting at it in the storyline that there is an extinct culture somewhere deep within Amonkhet. Yeah, it, it, yeah it's, not, it's not so much that we wanted to just not have any curses, because there's a few curses, and obviously we have undead mummies, uh, and you know there are a few cards representing people in dark places, but the overall tone of the place is very brightly lit, and there's a lot of green growing things in this oasis. Palm trees. Uh, and... but, mm-hmm. Yeah, no. But obviously there's some creepy stuff being implied also. Yeah. There are two curses this set, by the way. Trespasser's Curse and Cruel Reality. Cruel Reality is a hilarious card. Yeah, it is. <laughs> that card is just mean, man. Uh, it really is. No, I I think that you guys really did an interesting visual job with this set. It looks like I like how it contrasts uh, good effects with just really creepy implications. Like, um, I mean, just even being embalmed or deem worthy where the guy is like getting speared by Hazaret and is like yes please oh god bless me oops uh, I just straight died <laughs> no, no, it's, I think it's really uh, actually I think my favorite is Unburden the uh, discards uh, card to one and two blacks to discard two cards where you've got the guy who's kneeling there and it's like Unburden is such a like you know, insidious way to say, oh, let me unburden these thoughts from you. Just take them, and now you don't have to worry about it anymore. And it's like, oh, that is that is messed up, man. That is subtly, subtly messed up. <laughs> yeah, that the Finding Unburden, uh, that's a reprint, actually, I believe, from uh, Onslaught. And I was so excited to find this card because it was exactly the kind of mechanical flavor dissonance that we were trying to express with Amonkhet to kind of imply that there's this is a creepy totalitarian state and something is is rotten underneath it. Uh, so that was just the perfect reprint for the set. Did exactly what it needs to do and had the perfect name for that kind of creepy Stepford Wives <laughs> stuff under the surface. Cool. One of the things is like I know Sean Main who was designing the set before this one, Kaladesh, he used to live in Egypt as a kid because I know me and him have talked about that a lot. Like he was a, a, an international student there or his father was a professor or something to that extent. And so did you get to like leverage his youthful memories to pull what Egypt would be like? Absolutely. Sean did the um, sort of initial research for the set for uh, at least on the design side. So he uh, he came up with a document with all sorts of tropes and information about Egyptian mythology. And we relied on that during the design process. And of course he was involved in design at various points. You know, he, he led the exploratory design for the first three months and then he joined the set design team for the last six months of design and then led hour of devastation. So oh, he, he was, led he was involved at various points. He did. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, 
Yeah, so he he was involved at various points. It was a little awkward in that you know originally he was going to uh, co-lead Amonkhet and I was going to co-lead Kaladesh, but then we switched the sets and the schedule for storyline reasons, and so uh, I got to, I got to lead the Egypt set even though he grew up in Egypt, <laughs> and he got to lead the uh, you know Victorian science fiction set even though. I'm, uh, you know, this this big. So <laughs> you grew up in the uh, turn of the last century, England. Yeah, I did. I, I, I grew up and then was placed in suspended animation in the 1940s. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, so that that was you know that was a little awkward, but uh, we made it work, and I've I've been pretty happy with how both sets turned out. There's a lot of cool cards and cool you're looking at the art design i was very excited about because uh like egyptian mythology is sort of my favorite go-to thing in pop culture and stuff it's yeah like in cthulhu looking at old egyptian cults and stuff like that um but i was a little bit like gothic horrored out after innistrad and i was a bit worried that it was going to be that again sort of very all mummies and down and dirty and dark but no i think it's a testament to the art team that it feels very much alive and full of light and it has an oppressive edge to it because of the gods and stuff, but it feels very much in flavor and it isn't just another gothic horror kind of thing. Yeah, they're always very conscious of creating a a tonal contrast uh, between the blocks so that they feel different from each other. Because, I mean, I don't want to like downplay my work too much, but ultimately every magic set is pretty much the same. They all have burn spells and they all have, <laughs> you know, giant growth variants and they all have creatures. And so the the art and the flavor of the world has to do a lot of the heavy lifting to make each set feel different from the other. Speaking to that, though, are you leaning more heavily on the mechanics and the way they provide a lens through which to view the giant growths and the burn spells? <laughs> Or are you still looking at ways to come up with new burn spells, new giant growths? Uh, Definitely the former. Like we're definitely leaning more on like, here's a giant growth with a set mechanic. We, you know, have at this point we're, we're almost 25 years in. And so we have a pretty good idea of like what constitutes a fun magic set and what doesn't. And, you know, it's important to make them play differently from each other. But if they play too differently from each other, then you alienate the audience because it doesn't feel like magic anymore. Right. Right. So you had to bring back Giant Spider. I, yeah. That yeah. was cool. Man. I'm very happy that happened. Yeah. Um, no gosh. cruel worm, so, though. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so with a set that's top down, sorry, I'm, I'm interested in this sort of topic because if I th- if I was going to be a set designer, I think I would want to do a top down set because the sort of story and background and then building into those concepts is what would interest me. Is it literally they say it's going to be top down and it's Egyptian themed? Go or I guess what I'm asking is what's the early design process like the sort of beginning nucleus of designing a set like Amonkhet? Sure. Um, different top-down sets, uh, have each, each one has their own challenges. Uh, Innistrad is a good example of a top-down set where we did the gothic horror genre. And uh, because that was a film genre, it had a lot of little tropes that we could express in card form. Uh, and then for Theros, we did a lot of allusions to Greek mythology. Egyptian turned out to be much more difficult uh, it just there is not actually that much uh, that is a resonant trope 
the way you would get for gothic horror or uh, mythological illusions. Most of Egyptian mythology is very obscure and is only of real interest to archaeologists. Um, a lot of what people know about Egypt is visual. They know what King Tutankhamun's uh, sarcophagus looks like. They know what a pyramid looks like. There are all these things that are that are expressed visually. Uh, so we found that the trope space was pretty thin on the ground and that we needed more to make a magic set, a magic block even. So we uh, introduced Nicol Bolas as an element. We thought about what's Nicol Bolas like? What would a society made by Nicol Bolas <laughs> be like? And he is He's this ancient, cruel dragon planeswalker who's been around for tens of thousands of years and is absolutely power hungry and is obsessed with his own mortality. And so we, we try to incorporate some of that, some of his personality into the set. And then also, uh, even then, we found that it was not quite enough, that like green especially was being left out and didn't really feel like it had a role to play. So we uh, came up with this idea of competitive trials, uh, which is not really Egyptian or Nicol Bolas. It's just this other thing where you have these young, healthy people competing against each other. And, uh, you know, how can we express that mechanically? They're all competing for the favor of the gods. And so that got us things like the exert mechanic and the heck bent. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I think that's such a cute name, but that's actually a really interesting question. So like when you guys started and, so did like Rosewater sit you down and say, okay, our next block is going to be ancient Egypt and Bolas, or did the Bolas part come later? Because I know I'm sure you guys were trying to find a way to bring him back as a villain in the story, anyways, because he's one of the most popular characters. So um, was it like was he a later addition to the set, or was it just kind of from the get go? You knew that you kind of had to bring these two ideas together. Uh, the initial pitch was Sean Maines. We have these off-sites where anybody can pitch any idea for magic to improve magic. And he said, we should do an Egyptian block, ancient Egypt, let's do it. And everyone was like, yes, let's do it. Uh, Bolas was introduced pretty early during exploratory design, which is sort of before we start building the set, we just kind of bounce ideas around and come up with ideas for mechanics and kind of figure out what the set is going to be about. And was that after some sort of uh, early story look at this? Like, what introduced yeah, Bolas? The, um, well, we knew that we wanted Bolas to be our next big villain after the Eldrazi. Hmm. So it was a given that he was going to be involved in the story in some way, but it, you know, it wasn't totally clear what that involvement would be in each block. Sure. So, you know, obviously he, there wasn't very much of him in uh Kaladesh block. There was, there were one or two oblique references. I mean, there was an intimation, <laughs> but it was rather dark. It was, it was dark. <laughs> was it like, well, it's gotta be either Bolas or Phyrexian. So let's flip a coin. No, come on, man. No, Ugin was no. heavily involved in Khan's. I know. I know. Come on, man. Phyrexians are going to come I don't back. Know. Yeah, we, we had... We had Bolas planned quite a, quite a while out. Like we knew we were gonna we were gonna go to Bolas after the Eldrazi situation. Yeah, no, I'm as, as a Vorthos, I'm excited. I love Bolas. I'm sad that we don't see like the Canopic remains of the other four Elder Dragons because yeah. wouldn't that have been amazing to see like poor Chromium Mummy sitting around or like <laughs> Vivictus as Mummy? 
uh, I don't know. I think I, I think there's a missed opportunity here to embalm your other favorite legends and just kind of stick them into towers and say like, "Gosh, poor guys." That would be cool. and that would have been hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Ethan's like, "This is why I've got the job and you don't." <laughs> yeah, I just uh, I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be a total nerd about this or whatever, but I'm afraid that uh, those other elder dragons are from Dominaria, so they couldn't possibly be on on. What are you telling me? He can't just drag a corpse through the plains and <laughs> bring him over? They'd be well. Yeah, I guess he could if he wanted. Yeah. But then can can he resurrect that that corpse? Well, he's Bolas. He... Uh, yeah, Nicol Bolas has uh, exhibited uh, capabilities yeah. in that area. He can do necromancy. When he was on Grixis, I believe he was doing some of that So stuff. he could murder somebody, take their corpse to another plane, bring them back to life, and be like, hey, we can do this all. <laughs> we can do this all the time. <laughs> and that guy is more like, please, please stop. Let me die. <laughs> Oh my He's god, like, this would be amazing. Just let me die whatever plane I'm on. Are you sure? This, this plane dark. is uh, the Alliance's plane. Kill me again. <laughs> Kill me again. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's how this whole thing started, right? Maybe Bolas just had this retinue that he didn't want to lose because, you know, you spend 30 years investing in someone's abilities and you don't want to lose that just easily. And so maybe he kills them, yeah. brings them to another plane and resurrects them. Or embalms so them, much, shall we say. It's, it's hard to find good help. That it is, is. It is. <laughs> um, so do you want to talk a little bit about the mechanics that you use for this set? That leads into a couple of other topics. We, we want to talk about the set goals a little bit. Like, did you have any coming out of the exploratory design and handing it off to design? Were there any goals that you wanted to see manifest? And then our patrons have a couple of questions that set up the mechanical conversation. All right. Um yeah, we you know our our main goal was to express ancient Egypt in magic form. We thought that a lot of fans would be excited about that. Um, we obviously had some storyline goals in that you know we had we had started on Kaladesh, now we're going to Amonkhet, and what is the Gate Watch up to? Um, and then you know as far as smaller goals go, you know we we wanted to show what a villain Nicol Bolas is. This guy, what has he done to this plane? This place is messed up, right? It is definitely a messed up, messed up place. Like, the stories have been pretty fantastic so far, especially with the uh, most recent one having an assembly line of poor dead yeah. trial, like, uh, participants just getting mummified. And it was just like, it almost felt like a creepy sci-fi movie or one of those Star Trek episodes where the Borg are being made or something, yeah. where you know you just got corpses just getting dragged in there, and then just like, whoops, there's your liver, and now you're a mummy, let's go. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wow, that's grody. It was incredibly secular, too. Like, they, like it just stripped out anything that would make it a religious ceremony, any kind of moment of importance, and, and now it's just, we're just, you know, Factory processing farming. you. Yeah. <laughs> Right, it was just robots making robots. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Wow, this is incredibly creepy." <laughs> yeah, neat. Um, yeah, this is this is not a nice place. It looks nice at first, and then you realize that there's all sorts of creepy stuff going yeah, it on. Turns out behind the scenes, turns out old Nikki B doesn't have our best interests at in heart. Nikki B, <laughs> he really doesn't. That Nikki, is going into the lexicon. Nikki B makes it sound like he's got his own Instagram account, takes lots of selfies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, someone check really fast. Is there an at Nikki B? Oh, spelled N-I-C-Y. <laughs> oh, my God. Nikki B's had too many cubs today. Look at this dragon ass. 
Oh my goodness gracious. Tesserets <laughs> hanging around in the background taking photos. Mm, damn, sister. <laughs> but anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I so... thought we left the hedonism side of Black back behind in Kaladesh, but here we are with old Nikki B. <laughs> oh no. It's never far behind us. <laughs> um, Patron Henry Stuckenborg asks a uh, mechanical question. Amonkhet feels more interactive than recent sets with enter the battlefields and exit the battlefields that can target your opponent's permanence. Was that an original design goal or did you discover it along the way? Uh, This sounds like something that development probably did. Um, The embalm mechanic uh, (laughs) uh, distorts the the set a little bit in that, you know, if you block an embalm creature with one of your creatures and they trade, uh, it's not really an even trade because the embalm creature is going to come back eventually. So uh, it was important to add a little bit more ways to interact with your opponent's permanents. Uh, just to sort of balance things out a little bit so that Embalmed isn't just like overwhelming card advantage. How do you tell if it, in early playtests that that balance is, is needed? And then how did you stumble on the solution that enter and exit battlefield effects are, are the solution to that? Yeah, I, I couldn't even say. The, the, the question surprised me, and uh, it makes sense that uh, this is something that development would have found, but uh, I am not particularly attuned to those sorts of environmental concerns. So, you know, there, there, are, there are some old school magic players who can just like play limited and they have a constant tally in their head of like, I'm up two cards, my opponent's up one card or whatever. And they just are always aware of who has card advantage throughout the game. Uh, but that's not how my brain works, I'm afraid. <laughs> it, it almost, I mean, people have called uh, Embalm as like, sort of flashback for monsters but in a way it also so kind of feels a little like flicker in that some of these you know due to yeah. the etb embalming effects when you bring them back from the dead like you know it's like getting the second use of the etb um did you ever consider making a card that would let you embalm any creature that's in the graveyard as opposed to just the creature yeah. that would embalm on them we had a card that did that in the file for a long time uh it was eventually cut. Uh, part of the exciting thing about Embalm is that you have these weird tokens. And so a lot of them do have enters a battlefield abilities and things like that, just to make them feel different from regular tokens, which we would do in any set. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the thing that embalms anything kind of ruins the gag where you have the physical token that has the creature all wrapped up. Cause obviously in this, in that case, there is no physical token. Oh, oh right, right. Did you consider I'm... double face cards as a solution to embalm? We did. We talked about it a lot. Uh, there were some people in R and D who were very uh, stridently in favor of changing embalm and aftermath to both uh, involve double face cards. Uh, I ultimately decided that. I didn't want to use double face cards here. We've used them a lot lately, and I, I understand that there's a cost there. You know, there's a lot of fiddliness of taking things in and out of sleeves, and some players just don't like it. Uh, the people who like it really like it, and the people who don't like it don't like it at all. 
Uh, and there, there was something exciting about making a bunch of weird tokens to me, like the idea of, you know, you can populate these and various other things uh, seemed exciting to me. I, so uh, ultimately we decided not to. I, speaking as a player rather than a designer and double face, I think you can have too much of a thing. Um, I think they're a good yeah. thing. And if they were, in, we only had double face recently, relatively recently in the grand scheme of things. I think if we started getting them again, it would just be oversaturation. Yeah, that was my instinct as well, was that it had been too soon since Shadows over in this drawed block, and then we needed to wait longer before we uh, deployed double face. So uh, the first lady of Commanderian, Jackie Miller, asks. Were there any changes you had to make with the set since the change to rotations going back? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, we had to go through and replay test the set with, uh, you know, with the larger standard format. And we did make a bunch of changes to the set to accommodate new standard. Um, we weren't able to make really ambitious changes because we only had a limited amount of time to do that play testing. So... Uh, and, and there's just a lot of unknowns there. We'll we'll see how it shakes out. How late in the process did you know that the change was coming? It was quite late in the process. Oh, that must have been a gigantic headache for all of you. Uh, right, because it was only it was only announced this January, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess. Yep. It was like Kaladesh and Amonkhet would have probably been like the first sets designed with that in mind, right? Like fully from the get go. Yeah, for the for the uh, for the eighteen months. Yeah, yeah, eighteen months. Yeah, right, eighteen months. So, so then so, this. Um, well, no, because uh, Shadows Over Innistrad uh, block was designed with that in mind, also. But the, oh, and even 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 Battle for Zendikar. Yeah, we 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 knew um, partway through Battle for Zendikar design that we were switching to. Uh, to 18 months rotation. right but that was sort of the change zero if you will where the the sets are already underway and then have to adapt to that and and so yeah but it was it, even though it was it was only part way through the initial design of uh battle for zendikar wow so we had to make a few a few adjustments but it was well early in the process for that so you had feedback early on um, and this may be uh, encroaching on territory you cannot talk about. But if the cards are printed some six to eight months before the set releases, that means if you were able to change anything, it had to occur before the printing process. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, once the cards are printed, yeah. that's it. So this has got to be sometime around the beginning of uh, Kaladesh, the release of Kaladesh, that you guys were aware that this change had to go back to a two-year rotation. Yeah, that was when we started to get a lot of feedback that um, players were not not enjoying the fast rotation. So we had to act swiftly to reverse that. I quite uh, enjoyed it. Wow. Uh, that, I got to say, it, it does make me giggle a little bit to imagine poor Watsy employees running at the factory and handwriting on the cards to change it after they've been printed. <laughs> like, just with a grip of Sharpies going like, no, this actually costs three mana, not yeah. two mana. Oh, God, oh, God. Can you imagine that all hands? <laughs> Has anybody here worked on all an hands. assembly line? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Not you, Ethan. We need all your fingers. All two that he's got left. God, can you imagine how ridiculously unpleasant that would have been? Um, but 
with that, I mean, because I've been looking at this set and there's a lot of really interesting interactions with uh, stuff from Battle for Zendikar even, especially with things like the processors now. Because think about it, if you have your um, embalmed dude and he gets exiled, then, or if you're playing against somebody whose stuff gets exiled, then your processors can eat it and bring it back. Or you can do other weirdy tricks that you may not have imagined in design with cards mm-hmm. that are supposed to not be here like uh 12 gideons <laughs> <laughs> yes yes I, i'm looking forward to my mono gideon deck uh we call it giddy up um and he just, oh just runs God. around and hits people until he dies and then comes back again because he's just gideon what are you talking about well and, shivam yeah and... i'm sorry you have to go right in the middle of the show uh, <laughs> But after after giddy up, I don't see any other solution. People are driving into concrete pylons now because of that. Come on, it'll be amazing. And you can have always watching, so it'll be just vigilant. So he's never tapped. He's always up. It'll be great. Yay. <laughs> I have a whole thing here, man. Just hear me out. It's 12 Gideons. It's going to be the hottest thing in standard and uh, coming to a commander table never. Um. So uh, do you, Ethan... <laughs> have to design oh not have to design it makes it sound like it's a chore the uh the planeswalker decks which obviously have got some unique cards that are still standard legal to them decks to those decks my grammar is awful today what's wrong with me um, do you are they are they built into the are they taken into consideration for the design for the whole set or is that like an afterthought or is it a sideline thing uh, it is more of a, I would say that at the time that Amonkhet was being made, it was more of an afterthought or a sideline. I was involved in the Planeswalker decks for this set, but um, I would say that the Planeswalker decks are coming later in the process than would be ideal. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's it's more of an afterthought. It's more of a, all right, the set is more or less done. Now let's make some Planeswalker decks out of the cards from the set. And we have a few extra cards we can make, but they're not quite as, as simple as I would like I to would make. have, if I had to change the current ones, I would have changed Liliana's influence in Gideon's Resolve to allow you to fetch any Liliana or any Gideon, not just the one. Yeah, but wouldn't that be just busted? That would know? be busted. How? How would it be busted? <laughs> like, it would make them really good commander cards. Yeah, but it would also make them like stupid good in uh, standard, right? If you can just tutor your planeswalker all the time for six or mana. Modern. Yeah, it's just it's just a it's just a power level concern, I believe. That we can make them we can make the, those cards more powerful if they only fetch the planeswalker deck planeswalker than we could if they could fetch any of the. I know. I just love tutors. Yeah. I basically so hate the format Ethan. that I play. so ethan we would be taken to task if we did not follow up on that comment about less than ideal timing for the for the planeswalker deck construction what do you mean as a as a as a i'm i'm going to try not to overstate your importance here and i don't think i will but you're a senior designer there if you think that it's coming too late in the process can't you alter that well, yeah, obviously, and I, I probably wouldn't be saying this if I hadn't already, uh, you know, taken steps to do that in the future. I'm, I'm sort of living in the future, and I'm coming back in time to talk about Amonkhet, which I worked on some time ago, and we've made improvements since then, and I'm a little, I'm excited about them. So I'm like, yes, we, we found this problem. 
the Planeswalker decks were too late. We solved the problem. Yay. Now I'm here telling you about the problem that we haven't solved yet. You sir, truly <laughs> are a blue mage. <laughs> when you sweep into a room as a senior designer and are, you come talk to the marketing with my folk. Bi- my cloak billowing impressively behind Yes, me. with the marketing folks sitting in awe and some slight fear of you. How many inches off the ground are your feet floating? That's unnecessary. Uh, I'm six foot six, so I, I don't need to levitate. <laughs> huge billowing blue and cloak. Thunder cracks in the background. Yeah. You say, ignore that. That's a red spell. And then you point one fingered stumpy hand stump at them and say, do this right. Then you disappear into a vortex going back into the future. <laughs> And he has a spell that inscribes what right means on all of their skin. <laughs> Glows. Well, too dark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they just. It happens that their meeting room has that green card that takes flying away from all creatures. So poor Ethan is just ground based there. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, um, talking about Amonkhet a little bit. Um, <laughs> since <laughs> let's bring yeah. it back to the topic, maybe just a little bit. Just a little bit. Okay, well, yeah. Hey, Ethan, could you uh, please tell us what mechanics you used for this set? Sure. Uh, we. Ooh, I love a good cliffhanger. That's the end of this episode. To hear the rest of our interview with Ethan Fleischer, lead designer of Amonkhet, you'll have to tune in next time. Sean and I would also like to thank Shivam Butt for his guest hosting. Thank you, Shivam, for making the time to come out and play with us. Those of you who use life counters while playing Magic the Gathering of any type, but in particular Commander, should download the Lifelinker app made by the Command Zone. We want to thank them for including our logo, which can be unlocked by becoming a patron of our show. It's available on Android and iOS. I think it's a buck. It's not very much. It's a great life tracker. You should all be using it. So go on over to patreon.com slash commanderandmtg to unlock the Commander and logo. You won't regret it. I'm using it in every game I play. We'll see you next time for the exciting conclusion to our interview with Ethan. Commander and